Hello, hello, hello. How you doing? Welcome back. Welcome to another Brian Carter 9949ers podcast. Hope you're doing well, all 15 of you. I appreciate every one of you. Hope you're having a good day. Today it decided to be really rainy and gloomy out, which is kind of funny considering how yesterday was. I'm doing well, but I am dealing with a pretty bad sunburn right now. (laughs) Uh, My girl and I went to this thing called the Deming Log Show yesterday and got a bit too much sun. If you've never been to a log show, just imagine a bunch of lumberjacks and loggers competing in like the lumberjack and logging Olympics. Everything you could imagine with axes and chainsaws and climbing trees and and 18 wheelers so you're welcome yes i bought suspenders yes they attached a chainsaw to a drag racing engine and yes it was actually just a whole lot of essentially the ultimate redneck fun but logging's really big around here i live where there's a huge logging industry so there you go we had a good time uh but i'm a little sunburnt and i think it's kind of drained me a bit And then you add in the fact that I'm just looking at drizzling rain. It's a mellow Sunday. It's a mellow Sunday. But we're going to get into some football stuff. So today, the main things I wanted to catch up on, the Niners had their coach press conferences. So the pressers were on Wednesday, and I wanted to listen to both of them, re-listen to them, and just kind of get some notes and things that kind of stood out, what Shanahan and Mike McDaniel said. And also just going to go over a bunch of some PFF rankings. PFF has been putting out, a lot, putting out a lot of their rankings on position groups and things like that over the last month. So just kind of want to go through all of them and just throw out my kind of thoughts on them. So getting into the coach pressers. So first person to speak to the media on Wednesday was Kyle Shanahan and A lot of the questions were obviously injury related whenever you have a couple guys go down with some major injuries and then you cancel the remainder of practices. There's going to be some injury questions involved. So first thing is he just kind of explained again what happened. You know, Jeff Wilson, he just got out of a chair kind of weird and somehow ended up tearing his meniscus really bad. So that was what happened there. Tarverius Moore, he was doing a backpedal drill. He was backpedaling. He went to make a break. His Achilles gave out. And Justin School, again, his knee just buckled during a pass protection rep. So he just kind of went over there. He also reminded people that, hey, injuries happen in the offseason. Last season, they lost four people before training camp happened. And that was without OTAs and all that kind of stuff. They lost four people before training camp even started. Some other things that he mentioned while they're all done with that, they are going to keep the rookies around a little bit longer, do some additional practices, it sounds like. There were 89 people at the OTAs, so 89 players reported to OTAs. They completed seven practices, finished the practices early because Shanahan really wants the players to get their 40 days off before training camp. I don't know why he thinks there's such a huge difference between 40 versus 32 days, but 
he says he was happy with how many people showed up and how many practices they got in. He wanted to give them enough time. My guess is just to let the guys have some time off before the grind of the season starts. And so they have plenty of time to implement the things that they learn and they can focus on working things. Another good thing to hear, uh, Nick Bosa did show up to OTAs. Obviously, he wasn't practicing very much because he's still rehabbing with the ACL, but it was nice to see that he showed up there. He said that Trey Lance has been doing really, he's been doing well. He says that he doesn't like to think too much about how well someone's doing at OTAs, but he did say that he got through the entire installation. And from what I've heard, that's actually a pretty good thing because that means that he's picking everything up. That means that they were able to do a full install on the offense in those seven practices and they didn't have to slow down or anything. They were able to get through the entire install and Trey picked everything up. So that's good. He's picking things up fast. He said Trey Sermon has been uh, doing well, kind of picking up as the number two running back role. And in regards to the injuries and training, he was asked about that. And he said that they're always evolving with training and he's doing everything that he can. It was it kind of felt like with all these questions about the injuries that he was like, what do you want me to do? Like literally we've adjusted this. We've adjusted that. We're making changes every season. I've got a log. We've got heavy days. We've got light days. It takes us three weeks to plan out the training camps. Like all this stuff where we make adjustments, changes every year. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And I can definitely understand the frustration. I will say it seems they have made a couple big changes in terms of how they're approaching the injuries. The two big ones, obviously, a couple years ago, they fired the strength and, condo- strength and conditioning team and they brought in some new guys and kind of created a new department for that. So in that sense, they've switched that up a little bit and... That's going to be the biggest difference that's going to make is in your soft tissue injuries. So things like pulled muscles and strains, it does seem like we got less of those at OTAs. Obviously, we don't know yet. Things like ACLs, though, you really can't do anything about those. You know, those are typically like you tear an ACL. That's like a freak accident kind of thing. And they, the second, so we'll want to watch and see how they do in terms of like soft tissue injuries, because if they're doing better on soft tissue injuries than they used to a couple years ago, then that'll mean that the strength and conditioning team is doing better. And let's also keep in mind that this isn't something that's only been going on during Shanahan's time. This has been happening ever since Harbaugh left. I remember looking at I don't remember who it was exactly. I believe it was Football Outsiders. And they had a rankings list. And they ranked the teams from 1 to 32 on the amount of games lost by injuries. So, you know, you figure how many players were out for how long. That's how they figure out. And the 49ers have ranked in the bottom eight since 2014. So this hasn't been like a three-year thing. This has been a seven or eight-year thing. And 
since that's the case, you can't just blame Shanahan. There's a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, but it is kind of curious, thinking that ever since they left Candlestick and moved to Levi Stadium, that they've been bottom eight in the NFL in terms of injuries. The other thing that they have acknowledged, and you've probably already heard, is that this offseason they did change their philosophy in the sense of how much they're taking durability into account when deciding whether or not to bring someone onto the team. So we're no longer bringing on, you know, the D Fords who have constant nagging injuries. Instead, we're drafting, you know, Aaron Banks, who hadn't missed a game. We're drafting guys who have shown durability. We add Samson Ibukam. And whether or not he is necessarily a super high-end defensive end pass rusher, he has been extremely durable, and he hasn't missed a game in his first four years. So you can tell that they're definitely putting more value on durability and players who are not necessarily... They're, they're trying to stay away from the injury-prone players. And injury-prone is one of those really tricky things because how do you know if a guy's injury-prone or not? And how do you... You really don't. It's just some guys seem to just get injured and some guys don't. I don't know what it is. I've heard a million different theories. I know that recently I heard... I don't remember who it was exactly. I want to say uh, former player uh, Will Blackman or something. It was Blackman. I can't remember the first name, but he was saying that he thinks that it's more on the player's side. Maybe these players need to be taking better care of their body and focusing more on rehab versus just training so hard. Because overtraining is a thing. And while most of us who are not super elite physical athletes who play professional sport, we probably are not going to need to worry about overtraining. These guys legitimately can. And they need to focus as much on the rehab and rest and recovery as they do on the training. So that was an interesting perspective that I heard within the last week is maybe we need to kind of look at the players a little bit and say, hey, are you focusing on your recovery as much as you are on your training? Ultimately, I don't know, but if the training staff is doing well, we should see less soft tissue stuff. You can't really do anything about weird, crazy things like ACLs. And focusing on guys who have a history of durability is something that you can do to, at the very least, not add injury-prone, risky players. So just kind of going off on a random little injury tangent because I know that that's always something that we have to talk about here in Ninersland because, again, we have been one of the most injured teams for the last seven or eight years. So it would be really nice to... It'd be really nice to not be that team that's in the bottom eight in terms of injuries. <laughs> Last year, I think that we had like the worst amount of games missed for injuries since like the 2006 Bears or something. So it was really bad. Moving on. <laughs> uh, Shanahan did say that the only way to get better at football is by playing and practicing football, which is true. So you can't just cancel everything because guys get hurt, you still need to practice, and that's the only way to get better. And he's going to do everything that he can to provide a safe place for guys to practice, train, and get better. He did say, good thing about OTAs is that OTAs provide players 
a chance to see what they need to work on and prep for training camp. So you figure the guys who are just starting to get together again with OTAs, they're essentially, you know, optional practices. They're not mandatory. Obviously, you have mandatory minicamp, but these were optional practices. They haven't been together as a team since January. So who knows what they've been doing for the last five or so months. This is a chance for them to get together, start getting back into things and kind of be like, all right, this is what I need to focus on for the next 40 days to get ready for training camp. So Shanahan said that that was the good thing about OTAs is it shows guys what they need to work on and prep for training camp, which makes total sense because you don't want to get in. He said something along the lines of you don't want to find out when you get to training camp that you're not ready for training camp. Better to go to OTAs, see where you're at, figure out what you need to do to get ready and then be ready for training camp here at the end of July. He said Jimmy's had his best, Jimmy G has had his best spring since we've had him. I would hope so, considering he's only had two. <laughs> you know, like we traded for him, he had a spring, then he had, you know, he had the five good games, he had a spring training, cool, that was his first one. He tore his ACL, so the following spring he was rehabbing. Then after that, we had COVID and then now he's coming off of the angle, which he apparently is good. So I would hope that this is Jimmy's best spring because this is essentially his second spring because he's not trying to rehab. So it's just coach speak, but hey, again, I'm all for Jimmy doing well. It's a win, win, win. Also, he was asked about wide receivers he did say that there was a lot of receivers on the team that he expects to step up, but he does also see that pretty much every receiver that is on the team right now is an NFL caliber receiver. But when he was asked, he did mention Jennings and Sanu over and over and over again. What I've heard so far is Juwan Jennings and Muhammad Sanu are the guys that have been standing out the most so far. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because training camp is ultimately where, you know, the roster is broken down. But it's interesting that multiple people I've heard, you know, whether that be the media, whether that be the coaches, whether that be the players, Juwan Jennings, Muhammad Sanu, they keep coming up. So we'll want to keep an eye on them come training camp because one of them could end up being our wide receiver three. The question about Julio was brought up and he said, hey, everyone wants Julio. Obviously, you want a Julio on your team, but it's not that simple. When you're building a team, he mentioned that there's a lot of short one-year contracts that we had this year and that it would be really hard to go into next season to try and build a roster if all you had was a third and like a fifth if you had to give up a two and a four to get Julio, which makes sense. Obviously, it would have been awesome to get Julio. But it's really hard to build a team if you have a whole bunch of guys you're going to lose next year because they're on one-year contracts and you don't have any draft picks. And since we don't have a first, we're basically left with the rest of them. So it's hard to build a team if all you have is a third and a fifth and a couple sevens. He mentioned that. He did mention D Ford. Uh, like I mentioned before, D Ford was not at OTAs, but... He has reportedly been there since February with the team, and Shanahan finally just sent him home. So he's going back to Kansas City, rehabbing, and just continuing to work with his back specialist. 
Shanahan said he's crossing his fingers and he hopes Ford can help out. So, D Ford crossing my fingers. I really hope that he can play because when D Ford is on the field, he takes this defensive line to a whole nother level because his speed off the edge and his speed to power conversion and his pass rushing ability is top tier. You pair him up with Bosa on the other side and there's basically nowhere to stop. But we've also seen how much we've been able to get from D Ford since trading for him. Last year, we got like one quarter out of him and then he was shut down. And the year before that, when we went to the Super Bowl, he played for, I don't remember exactly, but it felt like it was about half of the season and most of the playoffs. So we'll see. If 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 D Ford plays anything this year, it's awesome. He's just one more pass rusher off the edge that we can rotate through. I really hope it, but I'm not counting on it. He was also asked about vaccinations. Uh, apparently the rule is that the NFL, NFLPA or the NFL, whatever they said, that 85% of the players need to be vaccinated in order for you to be mask-free for training camp. It sounds like they need about an additional 20 more guys to get the vaccine before training camp happens in roughly 40 days. So we'll see if that happens. I think, you know, again, the timeline on most of the vaccines, I don't know if it depends on which vaccine you get because there's the uh, there's the two vaccines that are like you get your first shot, you wait two weeks, you get your second shot. And then there's also like the single shot one. So I don't know if it matters, but the time frame on that, there is enough time. Obviously, the players are going to decide whether or not they want to get the vaccine or not. But the team does need to be at 85% uh, vaccinated in order for them to conduct their training camp maskless and it sounds like there's a few other things that they'll be able to have more freedom doing the final thing is he was asked about D'Amico Ryans as his new offensive or his new defensive coordinator one thing that I thought was interesting is that Shanahan and Mike McDaniel both said that D'Amico was built for this and I thought that was interesting. They both said that D'Amico Ryans was built for this. Like, he was made for this position. Shanahan said he's confident in him. And he spent time with him. And he has faith in him. He doesn't like to micromanage his staff. He did say that if he felt the need to give input, he would not hesitate. But he doesn't like to micromanage. And he's confident in D'Amico Ryans. And he thinks that he was built for this. So it sounds like Shanahan has complete confidence. And from what I'm hearing, everyone has confidence in D'Amico Ryans, which is a good thing. Obviously, you want them to be confident. We'll see how the defense is this year, but you always want to hear that. Next was offensive coordinator Mike McDaniel. He met with the media as well, so McDaniel also spoke. It was kind of difficult to listen to Mike McDaniel. <laughs> uh, Mike McDaniel is... He's not the best communicator. He is a very intelligent guy. He really knows offenses. He's worked with Shanahan for like 14 years, but he is not good at speaking to the press. He is like the super nerd Yale graduate who decided that he was going to master offensive schemes and then ended up working with Kyle Shanahan. 
And he's essentially Kyle Shanahan's right-hand man when it comes to offense, who bounces ideas off of him. But he is not good at communicating with the media. Uh, So it was kind of difficult. He provided some really good answers. And he's a very intelligent guy. But he's not good at speaking to the press. Some things that he talked about, he did mention. He said he's not going to be calling plays. So the relationship that McDaniel and Shanahan has is going to stay very much, is going to stay pretty much the same in the sense that his role as offensive coordinator is not going to be calling plays. Shanahan's Shanahan's still going to be calling all the plays. His job is essentially going to be the number one thinking person that helps Shanahan with the offense. So when Shanahan wants a detail here, a detail there, they're brainstorming, he's bouncing ideas off of guys. We need to change this. We need to adjust that. What can we do here? What can we do there? He's the guy, Mike McDaniel is the guy that Shanahan turns to. And it sounds like Shanahan has a lot of faith in him because he's been working with him for 14 years and he's brought him with him every step of the way. It was interesting listening to McDaniel talking about when he was with Shanahan with the Texans, they drafted D'Amico Ryans. And he thought that from the start, D'Amico Ryans as a rookie, he was defensive rookie of the year. He played like the Mike linebacker. He was calling defensive plays as a rookie. And again, he said D'Amico Ryans was built for the defensive coordinator position. When asked about the wide receiver competition, he wouldn't say who has stood out. He said it's really stupid to project things that far before training camp. He did say he liked the competition at wide receiver, but he wasn't going to give us anything as far as who stood out. And I do like that he seems very much a process kind of, he's very much a process guy. Like this is the process. I'm not going to think about three months from now or two months from now because we have a process and we need to get a result. And all we can do is focus on improving something every day. What can we work on today? What can we get better at today? This is a process. Don't ask me about a month and a half from now because this is a daily process that we're trying to get better at because it takes perfection to be successful. He mentioned that Kyle is extremely collaborative and willing to take input. So if he sees something in the game, he will mention it to Shanahan. And he feels comfortable discussing and bringing things up like in-game adjustments. His job is to provide valuable and informed opinions. When he was asked about Trey Lance, he said that they're most excited that Trey Lance is being coachable and that he wants to be coached and that he's willing to take criticism. He said that is a very undervalued or not undervalued, but underappreciated thing nowadays is people who are willing to accept and take criticism and coaching. We're not here to care about people's feelings. We're here about results. And I love that. It sounds like Trey Lance, everything that I'm hearing from him, we've all seen that he has a crazy, he has a really strong arm, and he's an extremely athletic kid. But I, the more I hear about his mindset, the more I like about that because the want to. He's got all the physical traits. Now it's the want to. 
he's got the he's got the intelligence, he's got the mind, he's got the physical abilities, every trait. He's a young kid, but from everything that I hear, it sounds like this kid's going to develop and who knows where this kid is going to be. Obviously, we'll see how much we see of Trey this year, but if he's if he's the guy, it's going to be really interesting to see what Trey looks like in 3-4 years from now. This kid could be he could be pretty exciting. I don't want to put anything on him as far as like what I expect, but this he could be a legit top five quarterback with his traits and his mindset. We'll see what he develops into. McDaniels was also asked about the offensive tackle competition because he was asked about Justin's school. The reporter, I don't remember who it was, asked about losing Justin's school and that he was competing for that swing tackle position. And McDaniels made sure that he emphasized that, yes, he was competing for that position. We have a lot of guys competing for that position. So it sounds like we've got a lot of guys versatile that could play guard or tackle. He mentioned at the very least Colton McKivitz, who it sounds like he's been Colton McKivitz last year, fifth rounder, I want to say, who played guard last year a little bit and was okay in what he played, it sounds like he's taking snaps at tackle. Jalen Moore, the fifth round pick this year, he played tackle. Uh, they're thinking that he's going to play guard, but it sounds like he's competing for swing tackle, possibly guard. Dan Brunskill, we know, the kind of veteran at this point, the former AAF player who's been with the team now for, geez, this will be his third season. He's played tackle, he's played guard, he's played center, so he's competing at that. And Sean Coleman. Sean Coleman, who, as we remember, he opted out last year, the season before that, he had an injury, and then previous to that, I think he spent three or four seasons with the Browns, where he had a fair amount of starts. So he's a little bit of an older, I guess you could say, developmental swing guy, but... That's another guy competing, and apparently they really like him. So it sounds like the offensive tackle position and the offensive line, we've got at least four guys competing for those swing tackle swing tackle place. He also mentioned uh, Mohamed Sanu briefly. One thing that I remember hearing recently in regards to Mohamed Sanu, it sounds like he's in really good – he mentioned that Sanu is in great shape. And that he came in here as a veteran with something to prove. And I have heard recently that it sounds like last year when we had Sanu on the team for, you know, those short three-week period when we had Sanu on the team, it sounds like he was dealing with a nagging ankle injury or some sort of lower body injury that I don't remember hearing about last season. But... It also sounds like he rem- he improved throughout the remainder of last season during his time with the Lions. If you remember, when we picked him up last year, he was with the team for three weeks, then we released him. And I believe a couple weeks after that, he, got, he signed with the Lions. Apparently, it sounds like he got better throughout that season. So maybe Sanu is actually in a lot better shape and is going to be a lot better than last year because last year he had an injury that he was dealing with, which would make sense if that's why he was not good when we had him last year and he's doing so much better now. So something interesting. 
He talked a little bit about his history and that he was a Yale graduate. I thought that was interesting because I didn't realize that he was a Yale grad. And then he decided to go into football because if he was going to do something, he wouldn't feel satisfied with his career unless it was something he was passionate about. And football was basically the only thing he was passionate about. So that's why he decided to get into coaching. Apparently he's doing well because now he's an offensive coordinator for an NFL team. And he was also asked specifically about Aaron Banks. So the second round guard that we drafted this year. And he mentioned that while Aaron Banks was not necessarily the typical prototype that Shanahan has got in the past, that they wanted smaller, quicker guards, it's not because they don't like bigger players. He said, ideally in a perfect world, you know, ideally we'd have 400 pounds, six foot 10 offensive linemen, five across. But obviously that's not realistic. But he did say that he liked how big Aaron Banks was. He said, yeah, we like how big he is. And we think that at his size, he is fast enough to do all the things that we do. And we think that he's good enough to do all the things that we do. So they're not trying to change their scheme at all to fit Aaron Banks. They just think Banks, even at his size, is good enough to do all the things that they're going to ask him to do. So... Sounds like he really likes Aaron Banks and they have confidence in them. And I heard some people talk, and this is earlier on. Obviously, the draft was nearly a month and a half ago, but people were saying, oh, because Aaron Banks is 330 pounds, we're going to be more of a gap power running scheme. But when you look at what Aaron Banks was good at, he was really good at zone blocking whether that be zone run plays or zone pass blocking. They didn't do very much man blocking and gap blocking type of stuff. And that wasn't what he was good at. He was best at zone blocking. He was just an extra large zone blocker. So he just happens to be two inches taller and 30 pounds bigger than the average guard who plays that type of scheme. So I said in my draft analysis, post-film watching thoughts, that to me, he looked just like an extra large zone blocker. So he was still a zone blocking guard. He was just an XL version. So moving on to the next thing, I wanted to go into some PFF things. Now with PFF, whether you like PFF or not, I like PFF because it's another data point and it provides additional context and usually you can learn something from people. So love them or hate them. It is interesting. It's a data point. It provides some context. I like learning and keeping an open mind because you can learn things from a lot of different places. And if you just shut things out, you're not going to learn. So you keep an open mind and you see what you can learn. So some rankings that they had. They actually put the 49ers as top 10 in, I believe, four of their categories. So first category we'll get into was the receiving group. Now, they said receiving groups, which is wide receivers and tight ends. Because they included tight ends 
and wide receivers. I think that's why they put them at number seven in the NFL. Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo, if they're all healthy, this trio is going to be pretty much unstoppable. We still wonder who the wide receiver three slash the number four target's going to be. And obviously depth or a concern, but I mean, let's be real. If any team loses their two of their top three targets, they're going to struggle. But our top three targets are all really dangerous. You look at Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, those three guys, you give any of them the ball, they're all dangerous on the field. So I think that's why they have them listed in the top 10. Totally agree. I just hope they're all healthy this year because if they are, there's going to be a fun offense to watch getting the ball to those three guys. The next group that they that I'm going to go over is the running back group. Now, the running back group, they put it 18. I just think that that is disrespectful. The Niners have had a top five run offense under Shanahan pretty much every year. Mark my words, I would put a bet down right now that the Niners will have a top five rushing offense this year. Just, you know, like take that to the bank. They're going to have a top five running offense. So I don't understand how you can have a top five running offense, but have your receiving group ranked or your running back group ranked at 18. Didn't really make sense. They put the Bears, the Ravens, and the Patriots ahead of them. Like, really? The Bears? The Patriots? Like, they're running backs? I don't know. I I, I, I got to I gotta call this one out. I, I really don't like the 18 ranking on the running back group. The only way that this makes sense is because Mostert has had some injuries, and the guys behind him are rookies or kind of untested guys. I mean, you got Mostert, crazy speed home run hitter, but he's had some injuries. Fair enough. Then you got a couple rookies behind him with Trey Sermon, Elijah Mitchell, but they look good. And I think Shanahan's going to make them look really good behind him. Now you got Wayne Gallman who played, backing up and taking over the primary running back goals for the Giants last year. He's our number four running back, basically. Obviously, Jeff Wilson's out now for probably the first half of the season. And Jamichael Hasty. So we're legit like four to five deep at running back. And we're just going to rotate through them. And Shanahan is just going to give the ball to whoever is balling out. So whoever is just killing it, he'll just... Keep giving them the ball, and I'm sure that we're going to have a top five running offense. And you know what we're not going to have this year, which makes me very happy? We are not going to have Tevin Coleman getting his one point something yards per attempt. It was, uh, why did, Tevin Coleman was really good for like one game in 2019 when he went off for like 200 yards or whatever. I think it was against... I want to say the Cardinals. (laughs) But other than that, Tevin Coleman was terrible for the last two years, but Shanahan kept giving him the ball. We're not going to have to deal with that anymore. So just through, uh, we're getting addition through subtraction with the loss of Tevin Coleman, who's now with the Jets. Seems a good guy, but I'm, I'm glad that he's not getting any carries for us anymore. 
And the other thing to consider when they talk about the running back group being number 18 is that running backs don't matter as much as the scheme and the offensive line. We all know Shanahan can scheme up a run game, which brings us to the offensive line. They ranked the 49ers offense offensive line as the ninth best in the NFL. I think that's fair. That seems about right. I think that they made some really good additions this offseason by adding center Alex Mack and drafting probably starting right guard Aaron Banks. Mike McGlinchey on the right side. Top, I think he's top three run blocking tackle. Not the best pass blocking, but run blocking. McGlinchey's really good. And then on the left side, you got Lakin Tomlinson, who's been pretty darn solid for a couple of years. And then Trent Williams on the left tackle, who's been arguably the best tackle in the NFL. So yeah, number nine seems good. I think if they're healthy and they gel well and Banks plays well, I think this is legitimately a top five offensive line this upcoming season. So yeah, offensive line, number nine. I think that's fair. I think that could be up even higher by the end of the season. We'll see. We'll see. Next ranking they had was the defensive line unit. They put it at number nine. I think that that's a little bit low. I know Bosa is coming off of an ACL, but if Bosa's healthy and he plays all season, that's going to be huge. And if we get any of D Ford this year, that's probably a top five unit. Think about this. Starting defensive line on the edges, Nick Bosa, D Ford coming off the edge. And then in the middle, rushing defensive tackles, Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw, like that unit of four right there, that sounds pretty awesome. And then your backups, the backup defensive ends, you've got Samson Ibukam and Jordan Willis. Those are the backup defensive ends. And then at backup or rotational defensive tackle, you've got DJ Jones and Zach Kerr, like those two big guys being backup defensive tackle slash nose tackles. And then you throw in there like your three tech kind of interior pass rushers, Maurice Hurst, Kevin Givens. Whew, that's a mean rotation. We're, we are legit rolling 10 deep on the defensive line with legit NFL defensive linemen. So they have us ranked at number nine, but... I think if Bosa's healthy and if we get anything D Ford, again, you're looking at a top five pass rushing unit, top five defensive line this year. This could be as good as the 2019 Niners. I know that's a very high bar to set, but they could be obviously health permitting with that rotation. I think the rotation that we have this year is actually better than the 2019 rotation. So I think the depth is better. We'll see how the defensive ends, uh, the edge rushers, are throughout the year. And the next group is linebackers. So linebackers, number one. That's right. They put the Niners as the best linebacking core in the NFL. 
all pro Fred Warner. Do I need to say more? He is the best linebacker in the NFL. If you disagree, I'll fight you. Um, I won't really fight you. Maybe I will, but come on. Fred Warner, amazing. He does everything. Everything you want in a modern linebacker. He's got the peanut punch down. He causes force fumbles. He intercepts plays. He covers great. He can pass rush. He can blitz. Uh, I mean, what else do you want? The, the kid's incredible. And I can't wait for us to sign Warner for another four to five years like we did Kittle. And then, of course, the other linebacker that plays on the field most of the time is big play Dre. Dre Greenlaw. Really good rookie year. Had a little bit of a step back last year, but he's a really good athlete. And he just needs to improve in his coverage a little bit this year. He is a really good tackler. One of the better tacklers in the league. And if if he just works a little bit on his coverage, I think he could have a, a bounce back season and put himself into that top tier. They did put Dre Greenlaw in, I don't remember exactly, but they did have Dre Greenlaw as one of their top 32 linebackers. So Fred Warner was like, I think number two behind Bobby Wagner, I want to say, but either way, all pro Fred, big play Dre. Number one, linebacker group. It's awesome. Good stuff. And the final group that they had ranked was the secondaries. And they put the 49ers secondary at 20. That just seems low. I know that the, the secondary is not the strength of the team. And obviously the depth is a little bit of a concern and there's injury history that can't be ignored, but this is basically the same unit that took us to the Super Bowl. I mean, if you swapping out Richard Sherman and Jason Verrett, and honestly, I think 29 Richard Sherman versus 2020 Jason Verrett, you could argue that they're almost interchangeable at that point in their respective careers and how well they play coverage. Like, I know 2019 Sherman was, you know, Pro Bowl. But Jason Verrett last year, dude, he was he was one of the 10 best corners in the league last year. So this unit is essentially the same unit that went to the Super Bowl. Not only that, but they have a lot of veterans. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of experience playing together, and they have chemistry. So... When you look at the defensive backfield, those those five starters back there, they have played together and they have played very well together and they understand how to communicate well together. I can't really see this being the 20th. I would put them a lot higher. I, I'm not going to go through every single one in the top 20 and argue them. I understand this is not like the number one unit, but 20 just seems low. Come on, we, we got to be higher than that. Uh, put, them, put them closer to 10 with how well they play. We'll see how they play this year. I would argue that they're probably going to be a top 10 secondary unit. Maybe top 15, but definitely better than 20. Then the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was PFF did their top coaches in the NFL and their top play callers. Now, Kyle Shanahan, for some reason, was not listed in the top seven coaches in the NFL. 
according to PFF. He was also not listed in the top six play callers in the NFL per PFF. So the only thing that I can think of is that Kyle Shanahan must have died. He must be dead, and that's why he was not listed in the top seven coaches or the top six players. Because that's the only thing that I can think of as to why they wouldn't list him in there. Because we all know that Shanahan is a really good coach and one of the best play callers in the NFL. I did hear an interview with a guy from PFF, and the main justification that they had as to why he was not listed First thing was career winning percentage. Basically, because Shanahan and the 49ers have had three not good seasons with a Super Bowl appearance in the middle there, they docked him for that. And they docked him as a offensive play caller because... It doesn't really make sense to me, but basically what they said was that the amount of money that they paid their quarterback, that metric affected it because the quarterback was not adding a lot of value to the offense. So basically what they, what they were saying is that Shanahan is not a top-tier play caller because Jimmy Garoppolo has been paid top-tier quarterback money to perform at an average level. Doesn't really make sense to me. Sometimes I wonder about PFF a little bit. Yeah, Shanahan must have died. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, so with PFF and, of course, all the football takes out there, there's a million football takes out there. Obviously, you're listening to my podcast. This is my take. Take it or leave it. There's a million perspectives and opinions out there. Take all things with a grain of salt. It's a data point. It's some context. There's usually something that you can learn whether or not you agree with them or not. So I definitely disagree with a few of those PFF things, but it's something that you can learn from. I do like a lot of what PFF does. So yeah, we'll just finish up on that. So we're going to finish up for the day. Thank you for listening. Uh, Moving forward. So for about the next six weeks or so, I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of podcasts coming out just because there's nothing really happening in the football world in the sense of practices or big signings or big trades or training camp or media days or anything that like that basically happening until late July. Uh, Today is June 13th, so I think that the Niners report to training on the July 27th, and training camp starts on the 29th, if I remember correctly. So that basically means a month and a half. We're not really going to have anything. Obviously, I'll cover any news that comes out, anything that is kind of interesting that I think is worth sharing. The main thing I want to do over the next month and a half before we get into training camp is I want to go through each of the position groups and just kind of go through the players and see how we think the roster is going to shake out. I'm probably going to watch a little bit of film because there's some guys who obviously we're more familiar with than others and it's going to be fun. We'll do some roster projections. We'll do some camp battles it's going to be a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. 
but it's definitely going to be a kind of relaxed, slow next month and a half before we get into training camp. So look forward to that. Appreciate you listening. If you like it, like, share, subscribe, all those things. Tell a friend about it. Appreciate you listening and I will catch you next time. Have a good one.